0: Hello and welcome to a an extremely exciting episode of Diminishing Returns this week. Uh we are covering a rom com, which is very unusual for us. Yeah. And joining myself, Sol, and Alan Hello. is one of our most exciting guests
1: yet, I think.
0: <laughs> uh, Dr. Wendy Walsh.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm exciting to you.
0: <laughs> oh, I I'm so excited. I can't I was just telling Alan before. We've We've had um, quite a few guests that I've been really happy about having on recently. Yeah, and, and
2: every time he says this is the most exciting one, he's he's, 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 he's trying to up himself every time.
0: I yeah, that, that is true. But I think um the last few times I've been saying, you know, the these people are great, they do great work and their their podcast is great, you should check it out. But this is the first time where I myself am a dedicated listener and I, I genuinely
1: <gasps> Really? Is that how you found me from Mating Matters?
0: It is, yes. It's it's been my uh one of my lockdown shows. Um, I I started at the beginning and I've nearly caught up. I've just got to the point where you started recording in the lockdown.
1: You did it the right way. You know that, right? With podcasts, people are supposed Mm. to go to the beginning because they build on what they believe is an information base the audience is taking in. Yeah. So by the time you get to you know fetishes and fantasies, and uh, and that genetic sexual attraction, but then you've already got the foundation of the biological and evolutionary underpinnings of human mating strategy. So by the time you get into the weird and wacky, you're like, oh, I get that. That's something gone <laughs> awry from evolution. <laughs>
0: But no, it's, it's genuinely um, a really great show. I, I can't recommend it enough to our listeners. And most of our listeners um, being sort of, I think our demographic skews towards teenage boys, probably more than anything. Um, it definitely skews towards people who aren't good at relationships. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if, if your teenage boys are smart, they're going to want to listen to Mating Matters because mm. it's the science of human mating strategy.
0: Oh, completely, and and now more than ever, I think you know, with with the the way the world is and and modern dating apps and things, it, it's fascinating to hear how everything's changed. Um, I mean, for our listeners who who don't know, uh, Doctor Wendy Walsh, she, you're you're sort of, I'd call you an anthropologist, really. I, I see you often called a uh, a relationships expert and a a sort of social scientist almost. Uh, is there a label that you use?
1: You know, I think of myself as a journalist. What I am best at, and I am, I mean I am a journalist, I was a local news anchor for years and a reporter for years. Uh, and now I got a midlife PhD in clinical psychology. And while I was there, I became obsessed with not only evolutionary psychology, but an area called attachment theory, the ways people attach or not across the lifespan. And so I wrote three books on our adult romantic attachments, our intimate relationships. But I write for the mass market because I know the language of people. Mm. And what I'm very good at is translating information from anthropology, evolutionary biology, sociology, and putting, getting rid of all the psychobabble and putting it in words that everybody can access.
0: Nice. Well, hopefully we're going to have uh, a bit of that on today's episode. I do like a bit
2: of uh, popular science. I'm very kind of scientifically minded, but I don't want to put the work in. So having <laughs> <laughs> popular science for me, that sec- this popular science section and community is perfect for me. It's just like I need it. I just want it boiled down. I want to have the basic information and then I will just wildly speculate on my own after that.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's the topic that everybody is interested in because we are put oh, yeah. on the planet to re- Reproduce. Mm. And those who are unable to reproduce, unless they're a great alloparent and help with their sister's kids, their genes fall out of evolution's chain.
2: Yeah. That's why we're total failures on this show, I'm afraid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so finding a mate, attracting a mate, uh, retaining a mate, and sometimes expelling a bad mate is the business of being a human.
0: Mm. So that's why I was going to say we chose, you chose actually, uh, our film this week, Pretty Woman. I, I asked you if anything sprung to mind that would be good to talk about from a, uh, a sort of mating strategy <laughs> point of view. <laughs> I think you suggested Love Actually, which was a, a great pick actually, but uh, we covered it a few years back on our, our Christmas uh, special. And then you came back with Pretty Woman, which is... Yeah, a great choice, because I I actually hadn't seen Pretty Woman before the other day when I watched it for this recording, despite it being a a real, real classic.
1: Clearly, you are not a girl. (laughs) I mean, that's (laughs) as important to a girl's repertoire as Mean Girls, which would have been another choice, a great one.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's a great one, yeah. I mean, I, I... I suppose if there is a weakness in my, my film knowledge, I mean, I suppose it's probably Bollywood cinema, but after that, it's <laughs> rom-coms. And I, I am trying to change that. I've uh, seen a few recently. I watched Shakespeare in Love the other the other week, mm. and it was, surprisingly, it was surprisingly all right. No, it wasn't. I thought you were wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, that's interesting that Pretty Woman
2: is... It's a woman's film, I guess. It's a film... F- for women but written and directed by men obviously <laughs> because you know it's,
1: it's cinderella just like a star is born it is um every woman's rescue fantasy under patriarchy and i do believe <laughs> i was gonna say i don't think that movie could be made today except that then we had a star is born again and I'm like, there we go again, rescued by the big man.
0: It reminded me of My Fair Lady, which I, I guess is, um, is it Pygmalion?
1: Yes. There's a
0: couple of
2: very deliberate references to My Fair Lady and, and mm. Audrey Hepburn. But also, yeah, there's that kind of idea of her being transformed, but then ultimately she transforms him. Well,
1: kind of. Uh, you know, the truth is, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, there's a so, so many flaws in this movie Uh, The first being, of course, a man buying a woman for a week and her being thrilled and putting her head Mm. under the bathtub, just screaming in joy. Right, three grand is three grand. Yes, and the second thing is that she's supposed to be this lovable prostitute and they throw in a tiny little scene to make us feel good about what she does for a living. And it's where she's with her prostitute friend and they were having a bad night and they couldn't find a a John. And uh, she said, maybe we should get this pimp. And her friend says... No, we choose when, how much, and with who. We choose, we choose. Like, like. there's this feminist moment for 30 empowered. seconds.
0: I understand that the film was uh, conceived of and written as quite a dark drama, and it sort of got put through the Hollywood system and turned into a sort of frothy rom-com. And, mm. you know, so along the way, uh, the big thing I read was that Julia Roberts' character had a pretty severe debilitating cocaine addiction in the original version of the film, which I think would probably have made it play a bit more... Realistically,
1: But then they're also saying, you see, she's really damaged and really needs mm. a man to save her. Mm-hmm. You know, she really needs this guy. There's no way. And then the comedy comes because then they do the classic, you mentioned Pygmalion by lady the classic fish <laughs> yeah. out of water story, right? Like somehow, because she's a prostitute, she um, doesn't fit in with his horse racing society and... He's kind of hiding her, but then she's just adorably cute and everyone kind mm. of accepts her. And, and the other thing, I mean, flaws on every level. First of all, a man at that level would have so many beautiful women who would be happy to be on his arm, no strings attached, for almost free Right, The fact that he'd have to purchase a woman for a week so that he would have no headaches while he's going to his social events is bizarre. And then the other thing, (laughs) there's also a market of very high-end prostitutes who seamlessly fit into his community that he doesn't need to pull a fish out of water. But he he seems
0: to be purposely playing games almost it it, it, i did find it very odd because obviously i knew what this film was about going in and i didn't really know what to expect because i I had a similar thing when i watched risky business for the first time which is it's basically a film where tom cruise hires a a prostitute as a teenager from what i remember but i just find it so bizarre whenever i come across a kind of mainstream Hollywood film that doesn't demonize sex work it, it, it kind of I, I expect to see you know a film where it's just grim and, and horrible and, and instead it's treated like quite a uh, light-hearted well, you know does it really
1: having... because we're well, what the movie's really saying is you'll never really fit in unless you mm. change because of this crazy thing you do for a living. And also, there's no sex in the movie, really. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I, I suppose what I'm saying is it's weird to me that we're asked to be on Richard Gere's side in the film and he's treated like a hero because, I don't know, I I think most films tackling this sort of subject matter would make him a a villain for, for, you know, doing what he does.
1: (laughs) That's my point. He's an awful lawbreaker, right? Now, The only movie that was done in modern times about prostitutes, which did a kind of better job, but it had its own flaws and mistakes is, is it called uh, The Hustle or The Hustler, Jennifer Lopez? Oh, Hustlers. Hustlers, Jennifer Lopez, right? So that movie was hard for me because while they tried to empower these uh, women dancers, exotic dancers who had no, you know, their business was gone with the big, uh, the economic downturn. Mm. And so they would, Drug some of these high rollers, and get their credit cards, which were mostly business credit cards anyway, and the debt was wiped away for most of them, but not all. One guy lost his house over it. And the reason why that movie bothered me, I like that it empowered these highly sexy women, but it made them as bad as the men. I mean, literally, mm. when you drug somebody, that's rape, you yeah. know? And they're, they're, they turn, I couldn't be on the side of these women because they were doing these awful things.
0: Yeah, that that was the problem I had with that film as well. I just couldn't warm to the characters, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and here they were trying to show like, okay, they're in power now, these women using their sexuality, they're actually mm-hmm. in power, but they, they weren't. They were awful people who did terrible things and supposedly based on a true story.
2: Well, I think in terms of Pretty Woman, yeah, what my main problem with the film is that I don't like anyone in it. <laughs> the characters all uh, just annoy me in one way or another. That includes the Julia Roberts character, really, who is obviously supposed to be the one we like. Yeah, do, do you know what? This is a slight aside. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen a film with Julia Roberts in and liked her. Like, I think as an actor, she's fine, but it seems like every character I've ever seen a play, I just hated. I don't know if that's something ingrained in me or... <laughs>
0: I've never understood the the thing with um, Julia Roberts and how she's, you know, she was the highest paid star in Hollywood for a while, was she, or the highest paid actress?
1: I think it's just because she was the first one who blew up her lips. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they had all those close-ups of those big mm. lips. She did a movie... Uh, you know, a few movies later, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, where she was in a bad um marriage, there's violence, and I think she may have even murder her husband. But I swear that whole movie was just close ups of giant lips. <laughs> I was like, wow, they're really <laughs> and she set the trend for the rest of Hollywood. Mm.
0: But but I must say, I I kind of get it having seen Pretty Woman now. I, I do see how I mean, this was her big. Breakout role, I guess. I I kind of get her now. I think it kind of all clicked into place, and I I can't say I hated her character or anything. Um, she she did seem like very much the sort of manic pixie dream girl archetype, who you know. But then the whole film seems to be dealing in this kind of fairy tale fantasy that's glossing over the reality of the situations that it's dealing with.
1: Exactly. I mean, that's why the movie's so frustrating because a a street prostitute like her. Isn't going to be lovable and joyful and cute and oh, we can just take her home to mom. She's going to have had mm-hmm. a rough life uh, and and maybe self medicating against the pain, right? I mean, we're talking we're not talking about high end call girl here. We're talking about standing on the street in thigh high boots, going mm-hmm. to strangers in their cars. This is not a good life for anybody. And uh, and I want to say to all the sex workers out there who are working hard to unionize, working hard to become legal. Uh, it is valid employment. If a man can use their muscles to do a, get a construction job that I couldn't do, then I can use my body to get a job that he can't do, right? I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, w- this kind of unregulated, illegal, at this point, street prostitute, these women do not live a good life. That's the first thing. Mm. Secondly, that he's such a lawbreaker and nobody nods to that and that he has such control over her he could literally buy her body mm. her soul her time her attention for so little money
0: that really struck me yeah the the amount was there's a point in the film uh where where he's negotiating with her for the whole night as opposed to just an hour and she says to him you couldn't afford it and he says how much and then she says 300 dollars. and i mean i know it's 1990 <sighs> but I mean, I, I could afford $300 and I'm yeah. not a high-rolling guy in a high-end suite. I, I could afford, Um, I think that was about $600 in 1990. And it's just, I assume that's written that way to, to show, you know, how little she has that that figure appears to be a monumental sum. That scene annoyed me to some
2: extent because by the time we get to that point, she's already in the penthouse hotel suite. Like, she knows he's money, right? right. That, so... Jack up the price first of all.
0: Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the idea that she has no concept of.
2: But yeah, but that
0: amount of money. Yeah, she knows that that hotel suite costs more
2: than three hundred dollars a night for a start, right? So I think when she says you can't afford me, that's like that's showing us her personality. She's a little bit, little bit, uh, you know, she's not, she's not willing to give up too easily. She kind of wants to fight a little bit because she doesn't want to just roll over and go, hey, buy me. I'm fine. I'm
1: yours. But it's such a token. It's token power. But yeah, mm. but yeah, and it's kind of
2: ultimately pathetic because <laughs> the amount of fights she can put up against this guy is is nothing,
1: really. It's heartbreaking. You know, I was reading this study, a little aside. I can't remember if it was out of like Sweden or the Netherlands. And, and it was on who are the people in modern times who actually pay for sex? Because, you know, sex is so available right now to everybody. Um, mm. And it actually tends to be lower income men oh. and much older men and the researchers suggest this is because they have less access to mates.
2: Well that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Cuz like you said, this rich guy, this 80s yuppie guy, he's got access he's he's the most eligible bachelor in town, they even say that in the film.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, these are not the guys who buy prostitutes off the street.
0: But but he he doesn't go curb crawling, you know. He he the film makes a point of saying oh it was all an accident he was in the wrong part of town because he was lost and oh. she just comes over chatting. a right. directions <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of bends over backwards to accommodate the idea that he <laughs> he isn't your typical john
2: he just fell into this situation
0: yeah yeah and, and again it's part of why this film feels quite insincere i suppose um but then at the same time i suppose it wouldn't really work as a film if he was just going out to get his kicks and
1: (laughs) right because then we wouldn't cheer for her to get him and transform him into a boyfriend right he has to be boyfriend material in every theater goers eyes and i have to say like the fact that that was a hit movie that Mm. women adored him and adored the situation speaks to how the system of patriarchy is even ingrained in women. Now, I want to put my evolutionary psychology hat on right now and quote some work of Dr. David Buss at the University of Texas Austin, who's an evolutionary psychologist. And, you know, it's very unpopular to think about this right now, but he makes a pretty clear case that women created patriarchy and they did so. By selecting male mates, because women do do the choosing, by the way, ladies, if you're out there, you're the big old egg that's sitting there taking applications. They're the fast swimming sperm who better have some energy and chase you. Okay. Just saying, stop texting him. (laughs) (laughs) What he makes a case is that women chose men who hoarded resources and men figured out, oh, keep the resources, the money, and I'll get women to come to me. And so then it became an arms race where women during the vulnerable years of pregnancy and nursing and child-rearing said, well, it's really hard to carry the baby and collect the food at the same time. This guy over there is hoarding a pile of food or gold bars or stock market stocks. Um, I'll just hang out with him and get a bit of that while I'm busy doing this very hard work of keeping this baby. So now what we're seeing Is patriarchy becoming deconstructed in our culture as women are surging ahead economically? As we have left, uh, you know, hunter-gatherer onto farming and then the industrial age and now into the information age, women are uniquely suited to... extract resources from the environment. We, we are better talkers, texters, we have better social uh, sensitivity, right? And so women are needed and they're surging ahead. And so men are now f- trying to figure out the new system. And I would say the young men who are adapting are figuring out how to keep their manhood intact so they attract alpha women but how to be a supporter of alpha women.
0: I that That's one of the most interesting things I heard on one of the episodes of Mating Matters I, I listened to uh, the other day was, um you, you were saying that you, you've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence of young men kind of trying to attract women with messages about how good they are at doing the laundry and uh-huh. the ironing and, <laughs> no, and that sort of thing.
1: Literally, a young man contacted me on a dating app at one point and he wrote you should know that I know how to fold a fitted sheet perfectly. And I swear I got a flutter in my stomach. I really did. <laughs> this,
2: is, this, this is a very interesting point though. I think, yeah, mm. in terms of our culture as a whole, and by that I guess I mean kind of Western culture of UK and America really. It's, we're like a hundred years in, to a time when the place of women in society really significantly changed and obviously that is continuing to progress
1: it's at hyperspeed right now the last 10 years have been pretty nuts
2: (laughs) but that is it's a really weird period of adjustment and there's been a lot of kind of casualties along the way and all that sort of thing it feels like good progress um but yeah when things change so so change so quickly people get left behind and and like i can i just speak from my own kind of generational difference to my parents like obviously their attitudes are different to mine Mm -hmm. and i consider myself my parents to be quite progressive and liberal in their own way from their from their background you know compared to their parents but these things change so quickly now and like we were talking about earlier i'm only 36 i don't feel like i relate to people of the generation below me already and i don't i don't mean in terms of uh gender representation i guess but just in general you know as as a as a psychological uh, expert (laughs) or or, uh, as a human nature expert do you find that people as they get older find it more difficult to change or is it just that you're not part of the world that is changing does that make
0: sense? See, I, I was going to ask Wendy to psychoanalyze you a bit anyway, Alan, so I'm glad you brought it on yourself. <laughs> uh, Alan is um, staunchly against um, any sort of commitment or, <laughs> or monogamy or um, That's, he's, yeah. he's a bit of an interesting case.
1: Well, I think I just want to say globally, and then I can talk specifically about yeah. relationship ideas. But globally, let me say this, that the brain has neuroplasticity across the lifespan and we have the capacity to change across the lifespan. Lifespan. The problem is a lot of our be- our core beliefs and values are tied into our particular generation and it is also part of our identity. So for instance, I'll notice my kids who are age 17 and 22, rather than trying to educate me, what is this thing going on with WandaVision right now? But they they, <laughs> rather than even having the conversation, they love to keep me out in the cold yes. and say, no, that's not for you. This is our area, mom. You can't know about this. So there's partly protection of their identity as we would protect our identity with our values. And, but let me say also, now let's talk about relationships. So when your parents were up and coming, they believed in till death do us part. And they may have actually used those words at their wedding ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. Now you got to remember that when till death do us part was invented, death was pretty imminent. If you got (sighs) married in the year 1900 the average length of that marriage was 12 years. Wow. If you got married in 1990, the average length of that marriage is 12 years. We're oh, well. separating because Both of divorce now, yeah. <laughs> instead of death, exactly. So this idea that you will meet one mate early in, in your young adult life, you will say, I do, and you will stay together till one of you dies is does not make sense when our life expectancies continue to rise, right? In 1900, believe it or not, life expectancy was the age of 38. And so it doesn't mean we all got old and decrepit at 38. It just meant there was a lot of infant mortality and lots of disease and blah, blah, blah. So, uh... So now because of our really long life expectancies, where the vast majority of people can expect to live into their 70s or even their 80s, you're going to see that even of the most monogamous humans, and we have the widest range of sexual behavior of any primate, but even of the most monogamous humans, you're going to see two or even three long stints of monogamy with some mate selection in between. We call that dating. And that's why you see dating apps that cater to every age group. And so, the answer to whether you're pe- whether it's like you don't want to change, it's like you know your peer group has its set of rules around relationships that are different from your parents, but mm. maybe not as gender fluid and sexual orientation fluid as Gen Y. Mm.
0: Mm. Okay, let's let's try and drag our way back to the film <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to bring it back to the film a bit. Um, I mean, the plot it's quite straightforward. Um, as i said before richard gear he gets lost on his way uh to this hotel in la he ends up picking up julia roberts who's a street corner prostitute he asks her for directions she charges him money to show him where he wants to go and they get talking and he just ends up picking her up for the night and the the film you know from that point on basically just becomes this rich you know infinitely wealthy man spending loads of money on the woman and and that's where it becomes this kind of fairy tale a kind of uh, fantasy I suppose for the audience but I I have to say as a man watching it I kind of got into the the fantasy of it as well because I I was thinking man it would be so nice to be able to just kind of you know meet someone
1: and control them with money (laughs) well yeah I was just gonna say just
0: spend untold amounts of money on them just you know so I do kind of get how it was a hugely um successful film I, I suppose it had that amount of cross appeal there was a point um part through the film where richard gear became a bit nastier and i sort of that broke down for me a bit it was like oh actually i don't want to be well, this man well, that's
2: it. We, we 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 quite quickly set up that he's like asset stripping companies or whatever they do these 80s yeah gecko types they so he go he buys a company that's not doing that well strips it apart and sells it for parts even in this film that's shown as a bit of a shitty thing to do you know he's making money and he's very successful, but in a kind of obnoxious banker kind of way. But
0: that's his character arc: is that he learns to be a better person and therefore changes what he does for a living. He.
2: I was watching this and I was thinking, oh, they're obviously setting him up as like he's doing this kind of bad stuff, and he's going to change by the end and do something nice. But then I thought actually this is like Reagan's America. Like I don't, I can't actually, I don't even know if this is deliberately setting him up as a bad guy. Maybe we're still supposed to like him, because.
1: Because that was probably the cool thing then.
2: Yeah, because like you say it's Gordon Gecko, isn't it? Like, and I know he's not really supposed to be a nice guy in that either. But people, the yuppies, you know, they like that. They look at that and go, "Oh, yeah, cool. I'm getting a briefcase." Well,
0: they they still do it now. The the Wolf of Wall Street. The amount of people who think he's a a cool guy, Leonardo DiCaprio in that film, someone to aspire to. When you know the film is demonizing him, really. But
1: and then, of course, the whole plot could not be done today because simply from driving navigation he would never need to know any <laughs> <and answer> directions.
2: <laughs> he'd have to come up with another excuse when the police That's arrested right. him
0: exactly <laughs> but yeah so so then what happens i suppose they he spends lots of money on her she has this gradual sort of attempt to quotes better herself but she she runs into opposition from uh famously the the clerks and the a clothing store that won't serve her the hotel manager but she ultimately assimilates <laughs> becomes someone of this quote kind of high class that uh can fit in with richard gear and his well that's social it. She, bubble.
2: she's not she's dressed in the right clothes and mm. superficial knowledge to kind of get by at dinner or whatever it would definitely have been nicer to have there's a moment where um ralph bellamy's character. He kind of he sees that she's struggling with the cutlery and so he so he makes her just he goes oh yeah I, I never know what to use either like he just makes her feel okay about it it would have mm, nice to have mm. and that's because we're showing him he's these love he's this lovely lovable uh you know ceo as they all are i'm sure <laughs> who really cares about <laughs> his workers before he destroys the company uh, but a bit more of that th- like that would have been a nice journey that she feels out of place but actually do you know what we're not there's, there might be a couple of bitchy people in the store or whatever, but people are generally quite accepting, and if, you, if you're if you a bit out of a place to go, hey, let me help you out with that, that would have been nice. That would have been
0: nice, a nice journey. <laughs> well, my, my favourite Not- aspect to the film, actually, was the hotel manager. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Hector yeah. Elizondo plays this guy, and it, it would have been so easy to make him a, a horrible, sneering... Tim Curry. Yeah, <laughs> Tim Curry <laughs> in Home Alone 2, of course. Um, but he's actually... You know, you can you can make the argument that he's facilitating a lot of unpleasant things and turning a blind eye where he shouldn't. But the way he plays it, he's really warm and actually quite kind.
1: So there's the one character you can like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I think he was. <laughs> yeah, I was he
1: was. but yeah, obviously, yeah, he's he's like,
2: look, I know you're a prostitute. Everyone knows you're a prostitute, but we just—it's a classy hotel, all right. Keep it discreet. Let's wear something a bit more appropriate. And then, like, they get chatting and, it, 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 like, her charm that, that this whole film is based on, that she's actually quite a likable person. He sees that and he's like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to help her out. And it, it seems very genuine. It doesn't it doesn't yeah, seem completely. like he's helping because, oh, well, I'm the hotel manager. And if my richest mm. client wants to get a sex worker dressed up in fancy clothes, I'm going to help him.
0: Well, he's rooting for them both at the end. You know, he, he, yeah. he kind of hints that he can tell Richard Gere where she lives <laughs> at the end so he yeah. can go and make a big, uh, you know, hold the boom box up to the window moment <laughs> to try and win her heart. Mm, we'll come <laughs> on to that, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I actually thought the cast in this film overall was great, you know, not not specifically Richard Gere and 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 uh, Julia Roberts, but just all the the supporting faces. You know, it was yeah. It, it seemed to be populated with the cast of various U.S. sitcoms that <laughs> I loved growing up. But you know, you have Hank Azaria very briefly at the start yeah. playing mm-hmm. a, uh was he a policeman? And and you've got the old guy from Friends and. Uh, <laughs> The, the sort of cranky neighbour. You've got Jason Alexander in there as Richard Gere's horrible. He's not his friend, is he? He's his lawyer, is
1: that right? And of course, Laura oh, yeah. Sangiacomo as her oh, yeah. compatriot mm. uh, prostitute friend.
2: Do you, do you know what, right? Actually, I re- not only did I really like that character, but... At the end, when Julia Roberts is going to leave, she's going back to Georgia or whatever. And, you know, she's going to try and reboot her life. And she's leaving her friend behind. The this emotional goodbye between them felt so sincere and genuine. And it came straight mm-hmm. after the scene where she'd said goodbye to Richard Gere, which felt so, like, empty and insincere. And, <laughs> and it was like, oh, I have so much more belief in this relationship. And I care so much more about these two than the whole Richard Gere, Julia Roberts thing, which I don't think is good for a film. <laughs> That's what they were aiming for.
1: Well, mm. I think that women, remember the audience here are women and women really value those female relationships. They're so much part of our identity.
2: Mm-hmm. When,
0: when we go for the
2: um, like pretty woman montage,
0: I, I was waiting for the song to kick in the first <laughs> second of the film.
2: Where they go shopping, and he says, Look, the only thing you need to get good service around here is a credit card. The guy, I, can, I can't remember his name, but the guy who's the shop manager or whatever he is, mm. he's in loads of sitcoms and stuff. You see him all the time. He, he's the one who's basically, How much would you like me to suck up to you today, sir? Oh, yes, that's <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Just absolutely, it was such a. Over the top comedy moment, even in a sitcom, even in a rom-com, it was, it was higher comedy. It was a sitcom moment, but he played it perfectly. It was a nice little Mm, moment in the 80s, in an 80s kind of film. I I appreciate this film was made in 1990. It is the most 80s film
0: I've ever seen. (laughs) Well, I'm assuming it was probably filmed in 89, do you think? And then released in 1990.
1: Yeah. I was, okay, so I moved to Los Angeles from Toronto in 88 And uh, let's see, I was like an entertainment reporter for like HBO or something in 92. Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman was still such a hot topic that we did one time. I don't know what it was. It was pre-Academy Awards. We actually went into the same store on Rodeo Drive and (laughs) we recreated the scene (laughs) with me. Like I just wore all these different, I mean, different dresses of the time. Uh, and we put the music, the Roy Orbison "Pretty Woman" music, <laughs> and it was it was a it was a piece we were doing on what the stars might wear to no- tomorrow for the Oscars or something. Right, yeah. uh, but we did almost a parody of that scene because that's how popular and what uh, everyone an identified scene. with that scene. It was iconic, exactly.
0: <laughs> and and I mean, of course, Julia Roberts was uh, nominated for an Oscar for this film, which is quite unusual really for the sort of film that it is Mm.
1: yeah i think this was the academy saying okay here's our breakout it girl Mm. Mm.
2: when the moments where she has to have some emotion she nails it it's it's spot on and richard Gere is kind of by design not doing anything that's kind of the point of the character that he doesn't show anything i don't know if he i think he does what he's supposed to do but it's not an opportunity to shine as an actor is it
0: Mm. basically he as i say she kind of assimilates enough that she's getting by in his social bubble and then you know they fall in love that's basically what happens and there's a scene where this isn't this annoys she, me as well <laughs> she tells him that she loves him and does she he yeah yeah i think it's after i think it's post coitus but like they're lying in bed <laughs> oh you together. can't trust anything anyone says at that point but she she says i love you and um he doesn't say anything. He's just completely silent, and she takes that really well. To say it's quite a, <laughs> quite a rude thing to just ignore. <laughs> you know what they say: <laughs>
2: if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> but then she
0: she lays into him the following day for telling Jason Alexander that he's hired her.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's the that's the high point of the film, isn't it? Where they're really getting on. She's yeah. having fun.
1: Like, why are we supposed to? To like him if he's treating her that way, mm. it's. I have a funny story. The first time I told my boyfriend I loved him was at a gas station. He was pumping gas, and I'd never had a guy get out of the car on the passenger side on my car and start just pumping gas without being prompted. Just jumped out, oh. and I looked at him. We'd been together a number of months, and I just said, "Oh my God, I love you." And he looked at me and said. You're going to do this at a gas station? <laughs> I am going to wait until we can be in a more romantic place, okay? <laughs> he still teases me about that.
0: Hey, Jim and Pam from the office got engaged at a gas station. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he loves to tease me, but but he had the comeback, you know? Instead of saying nothing because he wasn't ready, he's like, don't do it now. I need to be in a really romantic space for me to say it. <laughs>
2: So now now you're impressed by a man who can fold a sheet, but th- back then it was just being able to <laughs> pump gas. Oh, That's see, my, yeah, <laughs> my standards
1: were so low. Just if you can hold the handle of a gas nozzle, dude, you're up.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they get to the end of their engagement um, a week, was it? And he basically lets her go, tells her to go away. She's really hurt by it. And then he decides that actually he does love her and and rushes to her house to... Well, every rom-com... I I, I realise I've just skipped past the point where Jason Alexander sexually assaults her. It's a really (laughs) unpleasant scene that kind of comes out of nowhere.
1: Well, you know, she has to need rescuing, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to perceive her as a victim. But every single rom-com always has an all-is-lost moment. Mm. And when she leaves, that's this movie's all-is-lost moment. There has to be a moment... Where the female viewers in the theater think, even though we know he's coming yeah. back, no we one have that, to think, what, he what so. if he doesn't come back? Oh my goodness!
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose that's a failing of the film insofar as there's not really any plot conflict until quite far along, when because they they get along really well for the most part until he starts being a bit shitty with her, and that you know that's a good hour hour and a quarter into the film before he starts to be a bit more controlling and and but i don't know
2: what they have seen each other up to, uh, at that point like she, all the time they spent together she's watching the tv and he's like making phone calls and doing business <laughs> like yeah. uh, why at, w- at what point do we believe they've fallen for each other
1: yeah we don't want this sweet audience to ever think that actually he's tying her up and doing everything he can with her body because mm. that's what he's paid for <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like surely the whole point of hiring a, a prostitute is that you don't get emotionally involved. Like that's that Well that's what he says, yeah. Maybe that's my point of view. <laughs> if I was gonna do it. The the worst thing about sex for me is dealing with the other person, you know? Like <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, the, that's the crappy bit. <laughs> okay, we really do I'm... need to have
1: some therapy. For- <laughs> i will say for if there's anybody on the planet who doesn't know this uh especially young women men have a very different experience with their sexual psychology than women do women are their bodies emit a lot of neurohormones linked to attachment. So for instance, they release a lot of oxytocin, which is the same hormone emitted during breastfeeding to help her bond with her baby. So women have a little harder. And when I say women, I'm generalizing, of course, because there's always going to be we have the widest range of sexual behavior of any primate, so there's always going to be some women who are able to hook up and not care. Um, but there are far more men who can hook up and not care. And it is because the release of test they also release some oxytocin, but then they release testosterone during sex, which blunts the effect of oxytocin. So it uh, it's almost like sleeping with a guy early is a prescription for him not to fall in love because guys fall in love through the least release of norepinephrine, the big love hormone, that it's slow to build. And that's why men will say, uh, you know, I just wanted to court you longer. I mean, they'll complain that they don't get the sex quick enough, but they don't mean it. If something, (laughs) if they really want a long-term relationship, they want to have the opportunity to chase. They want to have the opportunity to date. And this is what women, as they're deconstructing patriarchy, are having such a hard time with because they're taking their cues now that they have the money and the power, from a male model of dating they're walking around in female biology but they're calling guys they're paying they're doing things and guys are shriveling and running away
2: i mean if anybody wants to buy me dinner i'm all right with that <laughs> just...
0: <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> this is the first richard gear film we've done on this podcast and i just feel like i would be remiss with uh dr wendy walsh on the show if i didn't bring up the bizarre rumours that have plagued his Um, career. Are we
1: talking about gerbils? Are we talking about gerbils? (laughs) Yes! I actually was living in Los Angeles when the rumours hit and I heard them from manicurists and hairdressers before (laughs) I heard them from high-up people in the industry and that's why I personally believe it's an urban legend. Mm. because urban legend legends go from the street up Mm. real rumors go from the top down
0: i mean i i can't imagine anyone actually does that anyway it's it just sounds so not a practical thing to do is it
1: all sides wanted him and and so he was as attractive to men as he was women and so i think there's a skit on saturday night live where It's sort of like a gay talk show and no matter what, it's like two gay talk show hosts and no matter what guest comes on to talk about whatever's going on in their life, they go, you know what your problem is? You're actually gay. Like they make everybody (laughs) gay who ends up on the thing, right? And I think that's what this was. It was like they wanted to make him gay. And I actually don't know about his sexuality, if it's Mm. fluid, if he's gay, straight, bi. I mean, we all... Are on the Kinsey scale somewhere, mm. and we move along the Kinsey scale across a lifespan as our uh, circles of people change, our access to partners change, as our hormones change. I mean, women, for instance, when their estrogen goes down and their testosterone goes up later in life, are more likely to practice same-sex behavior, right? Mm. I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Not that it matters. All sides wanted him. He was so hot.
0: <laughs> so yeah, thanks so much, uh, Wendy. Really, it's it's been a joy. This has been great. <laughs> it's, it's been like <laughs> listening to to mating matters in, <laughs> in my uh, my headphones. And yeah, so I, I mean, as I say, uh, I, I really can't recommend mating matters enough to our listeners. Is, is there anything else you'd like to plug?
1: Well, they can always follow me on social media uh, everywhere. The handle is at Dr. Wendy Walsh, and I do a live stream once a week on Wednesday night specific time. So I guess the people in the UK say they're eating breakfast while they're uh, while they're mm-hmm. watching me. Um, and always send me your relationship questions and I answer them either on air, protecting your anonymity. And I'm really proud of my podcast, Meeting Matters, because I do a lot of research for it. Thank you. Nice to meet you guys. You too. Yeah, thank, you. thank you very much.
2: So, yeah, so just the two of us alone now. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a couple of things that I made notes of, I thought that I guess uh, I'll bring up. I know <laughs> I looked up the writer of this. Because apart from anything else I wanted to see, is this a man that wrote this? It seems like it mm. was a man. But this is the man who uh, went on to write things like Under Siege and Chain Reaction with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so, you know, he's awesome. really got a good. <laughs> he, he really knows how to write for women, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, an odd cv he's got there and yeah I, th- I thought we could talk um a little bit about julia roberts we've kind of talked about her before but in just in terms of where she was in her career oh interestingly uh, you know how when you look at the imdb trivia it always says like oh so and so turned down the part so and so auditioned for this part and it's mostly mm. you know nonsense or, whatever. or probably true but not interesting one of them it said oh drew barrymore auditioned for this part but they decided oh, she really? they decided she was too young for the part.
0: I was gonna say thought, she must be... have been very
2: young. I looked her up, she was yeah she was fourteen when this film was made. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it was gonna be like Taxi Driver, was it? <laughs> that
2: definitely would have changed the t- the
0: tone of the film.
2: <laughs> oh, but mentioning Taxi Driver there, apparently Jodie Foster was sort of uh, at one point, you know, being um courted for the role, which I think could oh, really? have, well, I can see that, I, but that perhaps was when it was a bit of a darker, grittier thing maybe. Yeah, was well, would...
0: Jodie Foster I mean I suppose this is a beat we've hit repeatedly this episode but i haven't quite hit the nail on the head as it were but i suppose really my main issue with the film was that it just didn't feel not sincere but it didn't ring true and and i think it's you know it's what wendy was saying is you just you wouldn't find a a a street corner prostitute who is just a, a clean cut manic pixie dream girl no drug problems
2: Mm, no emotional problems well you know relatively speaking
0: yeah exactly She, she she just probably wouldn't be this character and i think jodie foster would have played in a way that does ring true <laughs> in that she's you know in, in the nicest possible way i don't mean this as a an insult but she's just got a bit of a harsher edge you know she's got a her voice is a bit more it's, harsh grit. And, it's and, grit it's got more grit, grit to yeah it. Grit. And the,
2: the film as a whole needed that yeah it was just a bit mm. too squeaky clean
0: but but I, but then i don't know if the film did need that because i think that would make it a very different film and it probably wouldn't work you know it, it's it's a bit of grit there and suddenly Richard Gere becomes completely unlikable uh, beyond the kind of way that he's presented and the whole thing becomes depressing and like as it stands I think the film does largely work as a bit of fairy tale nonsense and you have to completely ignore reality and switch off a part of your brain for it to to do that job but you know i I think taken for what it is i think it does kind of do do it very well i think it's quite a good example of its genre Mm. as bizarre as it is that the the fantasy being put forward for all the you know women in the audience who can put themselves in the role involves fantasizing that you're a a prostitute
2: (laughs) it is really straight down the middle as a film like you say it's
0: i think it's a very good
2: example as a kind of stock this is your basic spine of a stupid
0: rom-com it is except it's about prostitution which is really (laughs) bizarre don't you think that's just so weird because that to me says oh this is going to be a rom-com with a bit of bite they're they're going to do something a bit more subversive then but then they don't but then i suppose the film isn't really about prostitution is it it's it's just a rom-com it doesn't really grapple with the subject matter in any meaningful way it's just superficially
2: yeah you know that's a point of conflict for them you know it's it's when it comes time to pay her at the end of the week or whatever which incidentally when they have that moment where you know it's the end of the week he's gonna go he's kind of made a bit of a move already he said like hey go to new york i'll get you an apartment and she's like she doesn't want to be kind of bought in that way and so Mm. she's she she's gonna leave and he's like he makes one last effort like just no stay please stay and she's like no you know it's not gonna work and they have a bit of an emotional moment and then she walks away and then obviously 10 minutes later they we do the big sort of final scene but at that moment obviously i knew it wasn't going to end there but i was thinking this would be a really nice ending do you know what Mm. we've connected we have found a common ground that we never thought we would we've discovered things about ourselves and we've kind of learned and grown in some way there's still too many hurdles we're just from different worlds we want different things it's let's let it be what it was in this moment that would have been a beautiful ending or much more beautiful than Mm. the one we got
0: i mean yeah richard Gere himself has apparently said that he doesn't think that relationship's going to end well of course Um, i think i think there was an interview where they asked what you know where where are edward and vivian now or something it's like well yeah of course uh, that's not going to work out it's unless she submits to a life of you know essentially being his employee <laughs> well that's
2: it because basically by the end he's the one who's fundamentally changing his personality to fit with her but we we at least sort of make the effort to go you know what he's a nice guy at heart but he's just been stuck in this world too long and now he's gonna go do you know what i'm gonna use my power for good and help companies instead of destroying them or whatever and it's like okay maybe that was inside him all along but you
0: know that's his big character arc is that he goes from being a nasty businessman to a, an ethical businessman yeah, at the very end you know he's, he's not I don't think he's going to give back all the billions of dollars he made <laughs> from exploiting uh, less fortunate people than him but you know he's got his money it's like Tony Stark you know <laughs> we we can just wipe the slate clean for all the, the arms art, war arms and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't matter because he's good from this point onwards and that's all that matters
2: do, do you think right in terms of casting because all I was thinking is like what if Jason Alexander was playing the main male role <laughs> well i think it'd be a lot more realistic <laughs> he's more realistic looking <laughs> kind of exactly. businessman like he's not a hollywood sexy guy he's a sort of short chubby balding guy and he's got a kind of whiny voice <laughs> so even if he had the same <laughs> personality as the richard Gere character like he wasn't playing it like the kind of annoying dick he is it's you'd still it's just that it wouldn't work would it because, because the superficial nature of it's just a sexy guy is not there. Yeah. And obviously the same goes for Julia Roberts. You know, you know, that's, she's got to be an attractive woman. But uh, yeah, yeah. it did just make me think, because he he's just too sexy, isn't he? He's just like, he's too much of an eligible
0: bachelor. Talking about that, I know it was, I mean, set in the 90s, but basically set in the 80s. Yeah. But the outfit she's wearing on that street corner... <clears throat> What's that about? She looks like Lelou out of the Fifth Element.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that like? Is that a sexy outfit? Is that? And and the other thing was, you know, I I wouldn't look at her in that outfit in this film and think, oh, it's a prostitute. You Do you know? know what I mean? It 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 it. Well, no, she looks like what I think of as, you know, 1980s club goer or something. Yeah, yeah. She just looks like she's on a night out. It's, <laughs> But I guess that's my perception of the 80s.
2: What should a prostitute dress like for you to recognise it? Uh, what are you looking for?
0: I don't know, like knee pads? Do they wear knee pads <laughs> on, the, on the street? I don't know.
2: That's just a health and safety regulation now, back off Brussels. <laughs> Did you notice, right? Because there's a lot of stuff with her, the way she dresses, she's getting new clothes and all that and makes sure she's got the perfect outfit for dinner. And then mm. he comes back from work and she's waiting for him in the bar and, he, and she's like, you're late. And are like, oh, right, you're sexy. Let's go to dinner. And he goes straight to dinner. He doesn't even get changed. He's wearing his office suit that he's wearing all day to the to the dinner. It's a good suit, that's expensive.
0: Yeah, but he's obviously got more than one good suit. Nah, he spend spend the money and instead of buying two suits, he <laughs> spent twice as much on one suit.
2: That's how he's got that's why he's got a yacht. It's because he didn't <laughs> buy all those suits.
0: Look, th- this is a it's a common thing, Alan, right? You don't get rich from wasting the pennies. The people <laughs> yeah. who make loads of money are wealthy because they look after every little expense and that goes for not wasting water as well he (laughs) is used to showering once a week at best because (laughs) you know he's a miser he's a scrooge
2: (laughs) that's it he he takes her home he takes her home like after picks up on the street he's been at work all night they come home he takes his jacket off he leaves his waistcoat on like no one's ever left a waistcoat on for comfort (laughs) it's ridiculous and then he's working they finally have sex well she gives him a blowy near the end of the night he hasn't had a shower like he hasn't. <laughs> they could have at least. I think they could have at least put a scene in where he nips to the loo and just rinses his cock off in the sink <laughs> as a gentleman would. But yeah, he's a, he's a slob. I think mm. is the point.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to be a prim well-presented guy does he? he's you know loaded and he obviously you know he is your classic guy with more money than sense doesn't understand that just because people say something's good makes it so you know he's there ordering do you see that meal they ordered this is meant to be like a an amazing high class slap-up meal it's meant to be incredible that she gets dressed up for <laughs> right and and course one was like a little bit of bread with some Pate cucumber and tuna or something Get that anyway. yeah. and like it didn't it didn't look particularly good Ugh, didn't appeal to me anyway mm-hmm. course two escargot yeah to be fair those are massive shells for those snails but <laughs> i don't there's no salad or anything it's like you have not even got a side salad mate no. eat some vegetables for fuck's sake yeah. and then the dessert you think oh well the dessert just like a tiny little pea of mint <laughs> ice cream Pathetic me. Yeah,
2: that was the eighties though, and it? it's Nouveau cuisine. Everyone's taking coke and uh, anorexic. So you got to keep it light.
0: Yeah, but then I suppose I go too far the other way. If I was him, I'd be like bringing Burger King into the restaurant for them to serve on a platter, like paying the waiters <laughs> off to give me a Whopper. I've made that mistake
2: though. You get a pizza, and then it's like, oh, I'm too full to have sex now. I can't do anything. <laughs>
0: You want to time it just right. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you need to carb load before sex.
0: The most, like, romantic thing anyone's (laughs) ever done for me was when my partner at the time successfully timed everything so that we basically finished doing it, and then there was a a ring at the door and it was a pizza that had been secretly ordered (laughs) pre coitus
2: was she looking at her phone and it was like uh oh your de- you're de- the delivery is on its way you know it's with the driver you're
0: like you better hurry well, up I guess so. it was it was it was obviously a very dangerous game we were playing it was literally like within a span of you know two or three minutes it was like oh my god and it was just you know i i didn't want food before but there was a pizza there oh it was perfect anyway <laughs> the
2: perfect would have been like you you finish you sort of collapse onto the bed in that just ten seconds after finishing. And then the pizza man pops out of the wardrobe. He's been waiting Broccoli there. pizza! <laughs> yeah, Cubby Broccoli turns off. That's That's, um, by the way, if you join our, uh, our Cubby Broccoli's Better Things Club, one of the perks is after sex, Cubby Broccoli will pop out of your wardrobe and slap you on the arse and say, good game. That's, that's one <laughs> of the perks.
0: Well, I suppose here's a good a place as any to plug uh, our, our Patreon. Yes, if, if you've... Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode and you're thinking, oh, I'd like like some more of that, actually. If you think, oh, they should get better guests, help us get better guests. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you've enjoyed hearing Wendy Walsh on today's show, and I, I, you know, I do think she's uh, been terrific, one of our best yet. Yeah. No offence, Calvin. (laughs) But you might want to step your game up a bit, mate. But yes, if 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 you've enjoyed this, uh, of course we have a back catalogue of about 250 odd episodes available well it'll be less than that now a good 30 or so are behind our our patreon paywall head to patreon if you want to see those patreon.com forward slash dim returns and for as little as one pound a month you will get access to a load of bonuses uh there's three tiers that middle tier is your sweet spot that's the one where you get the back catalogue and bonus episodes diminisodes uh all sorts of cool little Goodies and content, so go check that out. Oh, and uh, if you are new to the show and don't want to spend any money on us yet, just go to dimreturns.com and check out some other episodes. Yes, you know, there's there's a lot <laughs> yeah, just less. go like oh that one's that. One, that's a film I like yeah I'll check that out that's a film I like because uh, this is what I actually did I didn't say that uh, while Wendy was here but this is what I did with Mating Matters was I I just looked at all the episodes and I went oh that's a lot and I mm-hmm. picked three out that kind of sounded interesting mm-hmm. and I listened to them and I was like yeah that's a really good show and then I went back to the very start and worked my way through from the beginning yeah that makes sense and so that's what you should do you should uh, have a look at ours go right this was good they've also done a Teen Wolf with Jeff B. Davis that sounds good check them out and once you're sold on it go back to the start Mm. done so pretty woman (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah so let's do some ratings pretty woman what did you think yeah
0: well i feel like i'm flying completely against the grain with our discussion today but i went into this film expecting to find it incredibly problematic beyond uh what it was you know in, in a way that kind of leaps out at you whereas mm. you know i i don't think the film is for the most part a difficult watch where it like jumps out and you're like what the fuck do you know what i mean i think it gets away with it even though if you think about it, it is a bit problematic. Yeah. It's not like when I watch Goldfinger and James Bond, you know, rapes a woman in the first 20 minutes and it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> that, this is our hero? It's not like that. So I think it largely gets away with what it's doing and I could just take it for what it is, which is a rom-com. And I do think that, you know, I, for the most part, I do not particularly care for the rom-com genre. But I think this one was great for what it was doing, taken on its own level. I think this is about as good a rom-com as I'm ever going to find before we get into the territory of films like Bridesmaids, which are technically rom-coms, but they're kind of more comedies. If we ignore them, look Com-coms. at like proper, yeah, what you think of as, as rom-com. I think this is about as good as it's ever going to get for me. So mm. I'm giving it a 7 out of 10 and quite a sturdy one. Well, I know
2: what you mean. I know what you mean and i think you're right it works as a film the structure's all there the characters are there but it's a very basic setup and everything and like it's like the they're just hitting these archetypes and like straight down to you know, like the cinematography, I noticed it was like, I liked the cinematography, but every shot, every frame, every lighting was straight down the line, 80s Hollywood style. Like, it was just yeah, straightforward. Everything's just really straightforward. And that's okay. There's a place for that. And this is the place, commercial Hollywood films, right? But yeah, it just annoyed me too much. And and this idea that you either don't like each other or you're in love forever. Like, that, those are the two options in, in films. And I gave it a five.
0: Well... I suppose, Alan, should we should we pitch a sequel? We haven't done that in a while. That's to, that's something we're meant to do on this show. <laughs> pitch the follow-up to this film. I am actually interested to talk about this just because this, this strikes me like a film that's due for some sort of modern... Not remake, perhaps, but but reimagining. Uh, and Wendy uh, mentioned the film Hustlers earlier as, as almost like a spiritual reimagining of it. But yeah, I, I just kind of... Do you, do you not think... Did you not get those vibes? Like, this just seems like we're going to get a... Maybe not a gender-swapped remake, but like a modern update of some sort.
2: I was just thinking that if they haven't already, someone's
0: going to do a musical of this. Oh, God. I bet it's already happened. Yeah, I mean, it, me it seems likely. Out. There? <laughs> Let me look it up. Here we are, Pretty Woman the Musical uh, debuted 13th of March 2018, so I bet the oh. one of the last musicals <laughs> before the world ended. <laughs> Do you think it went down well? No. <laughs> I think it was,
2: I think, I bet it bombed after, like, did a three-week run.
0: Premiered in Chicago, made a Broadway debut about six months later. That's standard practice. Isn't it? Standard, isn't it, yeah. Appears to be original music with Pretty Pretty Woman. Woman. Oh, Pretty Woman thrown in at the very end. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> Ah, here we are. Critical reception. Uh, generally poorly reviewed. <laughs> Critics found that the gender dynamics of the movie's plot had aged poorly. <laughs> and that the musical had failed to bring the story up to date. Well, what, would, what would you do to update it, then? I'll tell you what you do, right? She's not a straight-down-the-line prostitute. She is a woman on OnlyFans. And Richard Gear slides into her dms uh, or maybe she slides into his dms and then i suppose maybe if we position her as the instigator uh, more of a clear-cut protagonist because she's like oh this rich guy nice actually you could do that quite nice if if you made a film about her as the protagonist him very much a supporting role and she's like i'm just gonna rinse this guy for a load of money but then she finds herself becoming emotionally attached and the conflict that comes from that i think you could do that Anyway, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.